0: From the NBC Theater in Hollywood, we bring you an hour-length drama as mellow and pleasant as a warm September day. The Treasure of Franchard by Robert Louis Stevenson. Adapted to the medium of radio and to the American scene as well by Brainerd Duffield. Here now, The Treasure of Franchard by Robert Louis Stevenson.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the equestrian portion of our little show. Glad to hear it. When are we going to get the clown? When's the clown coming on? Now, at this time, it is our usual custom to introduce our star attraction, Dublin Dan the Clown, who is, without a doubt, without contradiction, one of the foremost comic artists in the state of California today. Well, where is he? Yeah, we want to see him. Uh, Now... I understand you folks here in Mountain Meadow have expressed considerable interest in this famous comedian. Therefore, I am sorry to announce that Dublin Dan will not appear this evening.
2: (laughs) Why not, Mr. Weirrazi?
1: Due to the exigencies of show business, uh, well, that is to say, I, I reckon us circus folks are human beings the same as yourselves. And the fact is, Dan took sick this afternoon, and right this minute he's up to Miss Crabtree's boarding house waiting for the doctor. I paid my money to see the clown. He ain't got no right to go and get sick. What about our money? If you will all step outside the tent, I'll see that each and every dollar is refunded.
3: Good evening, Mrs. Crabtree.
4: Well, Doc, you here already?
3: Well, I thought this might be a case for hurry, so I came as quickly as I could.
4: Grace, you must have. <laughs> you still got your nightcap on. Hmm? Oh, so I have. Oh, you're a character, Doc. Everybody says so.
3: Yes, everybody in this town says I'm loco. Right to my face at that. Well, aren't you going to let me in?
4: Oh, the patient ain't in here. Where till I get this lantern. <laughs> I'll take you to him. Come on, south this way.
3: Well, I thought the patient was one of your boarders.
4: It's one of them circus fellers. Always let show folks sleep in the barn. I won't have him in the house.
3: But, Mrs. Crabtree, I was told this man was dying.
4: He's dying all right. You'll see. But well, why isn't he being looked to? Come on, help me shove this door. Oh. <laughs> He's up above and the hail-off.
3: I say, how come you didn't send for me sooner?
4: Well, I sent first for Doc Smathers, but he'd have gone over to Rabbit Creek to set a feller's leg. Oh, I see. So then I says, how about Doc the Hermit?
3: The Hermit? Uh, madam, I'm, I'm a married man. Who ever heard of a married hermit?
4: It's because you're so high-toned. You never come to town and associate with folks.
3: Well, I used to be a doctor, and lately I've been devoting myself exclusively to a pharmacopeia I'm compiling.
4: Some kind of book?
3: It's an historical dictionary of medicine.
4: You don't say. Now look, Doc, we gotta climb this old rickety ladder to get up to the loft. You think it'll carry your weight?
3: Is that the only way up?
4: Afraid so.
3: Then I guess it's going to have to do. Medical science calls, and I must obey. After you, madam. <laughs> fellow won't last very long.
4: Should I bring the lantern any closer?
3: No, no, no. It'll do where it is.
4: He was a clown. No more somersaults for him, I reckon.
3: No, no more.
4: Friends all packed off and left him too.
3: Oh, it's a pity. Poor old man. All of them gone away.
4: Yep, except for that one.
3: Hmm? Which one?
4: Up there, sitting in the hay.
3: Oh, oh, bless my soul. Has he been there all this time?
4: It's just the boy.
3: Boy? I thought it was a ghost for sure. He's pale enough to be a ghost and thin enough. Uh, is this your father, boy? Can't he talk?
4: He can't or won't. Been sitting there for hours and not a
2: word.
3: Boy? Do you want to be beaten? No, sir. Well, then answer my question. Is this your father?
5: No, sir. He's my boss. I work for him.
3: Hmm. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, son, but your boss is done for.
5: I know it. I'm glad.
3: Glad? You mean you don't feel sorry?
5: No, sir. I always hated him. What kind of talk is that?
3: Quite so. That's not a good answer. Everybody should be fond of the dying, or at least pretend to be.
5: I hated him. I always will.
4: How old are you, boy?
5: I don't know.
3: You know about children, Mrs. Crabtree. How old would you say he was?
4: Oh, eleven or twelve, maybe. Small for his age.
3: Well, he's old enough to think about death. Of
4: course he is,
3: son. When I think that in a few hours the speech of this man will be silenced, the breath extinct, and even his shadow vanished from the wall, why, even I, who never knew him, and and this lady here, who knew him only as a guest, are touched with sympathy. Now, surely he deserves some pity from you.
5: You didn't know him. He was a bad man.
4: You see? It's a little hidden Doc. Ugh. Them show folks are all alike. No souls, no interiors.
3: What's your name, young fellow? David. Hmm. Haven't you any other name? No, sir. What do you do for your living?
4: I'm a tumbler. He's an acrobat. Help the clown with the juggling.
3: Oh. Did you do ever anything else, my boy, except tumble?
5: Before I learned that, I used to steal. <gasps>
3: to steal
4: did you hear that
3: well you're a nice little fellow i must say
5: well oh, I, I don't steal anymore only when i have to
3: you better turn this boy over to the methodist preacher it may not be too late to save his soul well say good night
4: well thanks for coming doc
3: good night young fellow
4: goodbye sir mm-hmm.
6: Wake up, John.
3: Oh, what's the matter, Annie?
6: I thought you were an early
3: riser. I oh, uh, am, yeah, my dear. Uh, do my best thinking in the morning. Well,
6: you're late today. John, look out that window.
3: Hmm? Oh, you wish me to admire the sunrise?
6: I want you to look at the...
3: Hey, what, what's what's remarkable about that tree?
6: Well, there's a boy sitting in it eating our cherries. No. Yes. P-p-p- put him your trousers and chase him away.
3: Boy in the tree. Oh, bless my soul, so there is. <laughs> you there. Boy in the tree. You, You come down. Yes, sir. Well, let me help you. i put your foot on my shoulder. That's it. Now, jump. So, it's you, is it? Yes, sir. How's your master this morning?
5: He's dead. Hmm,
3: it's too bad. That's no excuse for you to rob my tree, is it?
5: No, sir. Hmm.
3: I see you rise early in the morning. Is that a regular practice with you? Yes, sir. Seems to me you have the vices of a philosopher. Why do you get up early? I don't know. Is it to admire the sunrise? Why do you like the morning?
5: It's quiet and I have nothing to do. And I feel good.
3: Seems you have a taste for feeling good. You also have a taste for stealing. And the two are incompatible.
5: You mean it's bad to steal? Mm,
3: That's the general opinion, yes.
5: But, sir, I mean the way I used to steal. It's all right, isn't it? To steal a loaf of bread when you're hungry?
3: No, it's not.
5: I know what's right and wrong, because a preacher told me once. and He was real kind. But it seems like when you're hungry and you're going to get a licking, well, it's a different thing to steal.
3: My boy, you astonish me. What do you think your preacher would say?
5: I I guess he wouldn't like it, but I figure God would understand. God? Because God made me hungry in the first place.
3: Little boy... I said you had the vices of philosophy. If you begin to display the virtues, too, then I must leave you.
5: I'm sorry. Well,
3: you're not a boy at all. But you're a monster.
5: Am I? Why?
3: I hate all strange things and all strange people. You're the strangest little boy I've ever met. You understand? Yes, sir. So, now you go and get out of my orchard and don't let me catch you here again.
5: Uh, yes, sir. But, but, sir... Well? Aren't you a very strange gentleman?
3: (laughs) Oh, wait, wait till I get my breath. Oh, what a remarkable child you are. I didn't know such boys as you existed. Do you know that I've disliked children all my life? Have you? I would no idea there were philosophers among them.
5: Am I a philosopher?
3: Of course you are. You see things clearly. You answer twet's questions truthfully, and you've no idea how few grown-ups can do the same. Is that so? Oh, oh, what a morning this is. What an experience for me, for both of us. It's like a lover's meeting. Oh, no, no, don't look sad.
5: It's just that I don't understand you.
3: I'm afraid I've frightened you with my enthusiasm.
5: Oh, no, sir, you haven't. Oh,
3: yes, yes, I have. I frighten people. Well, here, eat a pear. Then go down to the grape arbor by the river. In the meantime, I'll go have breakfast with my wife. Oh, poor creature, what a blow this will be to her.
5: How do you mean?
3: Never mind. Go eat some grapes and wait by the landing till I come. Do you hear? Yes, sir. Don't run away. Promise I won't be long. Oh, uh, by the way, what would you say your name was? David. That's right. David. I disciplined that boy severely. Very severely. It's a fortunate thing, Annie. This coffee's excellent, by the way. A very fortunate... Pass me some honey, if you please. Yes,
6: dear. What is this fortunate thing?
3: Thank you. Uh, that we have no children. Ah,
6: oh, mm-hmm.
3: Children, my dear, are the last word of human imperfection. Uh, health flies before them. They, they cry. They put vexatious questions. They demand to be fed, to, to be washed, to be educated, to have their little noses blown. Then when the time comes, they break our hearts as, as I break this piece of sugar. A little more cream, Annie, if you please.
6: Thank you. You're quite right, John. We're lucky to have no children.
3: Exactly. Oh, it was certainly wise of me never to become a father.
6: <laughs> Isn't it just like you? To take credit for something you couldn't help.
3: Well, my dear, we could have adopted one, I suppose. Oh, never.
6: Not with my consent. If the child were my own flesh and blood, I wouldn't say no, but to take another person's indiscretion on my shoulders, oh, no. I've got too much sense.
3: No, we both had. And I'm all the better pleased because...
6: Because
2: what?
3: Because uh, I found the right person and I shall adopt him this morning.
6: John, is this a joke?
3: I never thought to have a son of my own. And last night I found him.
6: John, you don't mean that oh, you... Oh, no,
3: no, no, no. Don't alarm yourself, Annie. There's not a drop of my blood in him, as far as I know. Oh. It's his mind, my darling. His mind that calls me father.
6: Yes, but what about my mind?
3: Oh, he'll disturb you very much, Annie. You'll never understand him, and he'll never understand you. Oh, dear. Oh, you perceive I'm announcing a calamity for you, but it's all settled.
2: Oh, John, how can you?
3: Now, don't give way to tears after a meal, Annie. You'll give yourself indigestion.
6: You know how willing I am to humor you in all your notions. But really now, John, this is
3: just... Annie, dear... Who was it asked me to leave San Francisco? Who made me give up cards and roulette and strong liquor and and all that was my life before I knew you?
2: Oh. Annie.
3: Annie, have I been faithful?
2: Yes.
3: Have I been obedient? Yes. Hmm. <laughs> have I borne my doom with cheerfulness? Oh,
6: yes, John, but... Are you sure? You say you only met him last night. He may be the worst of scoundrels. Hmm.
3: No, I don't think so. But I have a plan. I'll take him on as a stable boy. If if he steals, if he grumbles, if he disobeys, I'll I'll see I was mistaken. I'll recognize him for no son of mine and send him <sighs> track
6: Well, you'll never do it when the time comes. I know your soft heart. Oh, never mind. Where's the boy?
3: In the arbor eating grapes. Go one another breakfast, I dare say. I'll bring him to you as soon as I finish this biscuit. Hein? Pass me the honey pot, if you please. Mm-hmm. Only me, David. Sit down again. My, it's a pretty river, isn't it? Yes, sir. Well, your boss is dead, right?
5: Right. And
3: you're not old enough to earn a proper living for yourself. You don't want to steal, do you? No, sir. All right, then. I offer you your food and clothes, and I'll teach you your lessons in the evening, and... I have an old horse and buggy that you'll have to keep in order. Yes, sir. No wages. But if you ever take a notion to leave, the door will be open. We'll give you $20 to start yourself in the world.
5: Well, it's very kind of you. No,
3: now, don't hurry yourself to answer.
5: I'll be very glad to stay here, sir, and I'll try to be useful. Mm-hmm.
3: David. Now, both of you try to like each other for my sake, hmm?
6: Oh, he's very pretty. Will you come kiss me like a nice little fellow? No, 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 oh. no.
3: Why, why, you address this young philosopher as if he were an infant. Oh. He must be spoken to with respect. Mustn't be kissed and Georgie porged like an ordinary child. Well,
6: I only said it to please you, John, but I'll try to do better from now on.
3: Well, I'm sure you meant well, I want him to feel at home here, Annie. Don't embarrass him. See what a dignified child he is. I'm sorry. Really, Annie, your conduct is so idiotic sometimes.
2: Yes, yes, yes John.
6: How do you do, young man? Let us shake hands. Yes, ma'am. Huh. Thank you, ma'am.
3: Yeah, that's better. Do try, if it's possible, for a woman to understand these things. Of course it isn't, and I waste my breath... But do try to hold your tongue as much as possible. Follow my example and you'll do all right.
6: Yes, John. Now, suppose you step outside for a while and let me have a talk with my new son.
3: I don't see why I should.
6: Please, John, do as I say for once.
3: Very well. No sentiment while I'm gone. No no tears, no kissing, none of that. Yes,
6: yes. Now, run along.
3: I'll be right outside.
6: There. He's gone. You're not afraid of me. Are you, David? No, ma'am. You mustn't be surprised or frightened by my husband's manners. You know he's the kindest man in the world. But he's so clever, sometimes difficult to understand. But you'll soon grow used to him. Yes. And then you'll just love him. Because nobody can help that. And as for me, well, you can be sure I'll try to make you happy. I'll not bother you at all. I think we should be good friends, you and I. I'm not clever, but I'm very good-natured. Now, will you give me a kiss? Oh,
5: yes, ma'am.
6: There. 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 My little son.
3: Annie, where's the boy?
6: He's out in the stable yard. Do you see him?
3: Oh, yes. Doing his horse and carriage duty.
6: He keeps that buggy shining.
3: Hmm. It's a fine boy. Fine mind, fine manners. Oh, we were right to keep him. Uh, don't you think?
6: Uh, yes. Oh, yes.
3: What do you mean by that? I said nothing. But you meant something. Out with it, what do you mean?
6: Well, I think we were right to keep him, Only? Only? We love him very much. It's wonderful for us. But, John, do you think he's happy?
3: (laughs) Why, certainly he is. Uh, I'm going to take him for our customary afternoon walk. Now, let's see. What shall I lecture him on today? hmm? Economics, perhaps. David? I'm coming. Come along like a good disciple. I shall lead you by the green pastures. Well, here we are at the top. Let's sit and rest a while, huh? Hmm?
5: let yeah.
3: Oh, what is so rare as a day in June? Look at that river. Blue as heaven. See over that way? Silver Plume Falls, the highest cataract this side of Yosemite.
5: I, I can't see it from here. Must be too far up the canyon.
3: And down there behind the trees, that's the town, Mountain Meadow.
5: It looks so small. Mm.
3: Yes, small enough now, but 20 years ago it was thriving. Full of gold hunters, gamblers, dance hall girls. It was? Oh, and desperadoes shooting up the place. Honest? See? Things used to be exciting around here.
5: It's pretty quiet now.
3: Yes. Nothing but a sleepy little village. But it was rough and ready once, and it was rich. It was? Hmm. Perhaps that's why I like the place so much. Have I told you that I was once rich?
5: I I don't think so. I don't think I'd have forgotten.
3: Well, I was. When I first came west, I made a mint of money. Then when I went to San Francisco and developed an interest in the Wheel of Fortune, I lost every penny I'd save. All of it? Well, perhaps not all. I had a little put aside, invested. That's what I'm living on now.
5: Uh, I'm sorry you lost your money.
3: Yeah. Sorry? Well, why are you sorry? Boy, I prefer my present modest income to my former wealth. I I make wine with the grapes of my own vineyard. I have good food, good air, fields and forests to walk in. Got my house, admirable wife, and a boy I cherish like a son. Now, could I ask for more? No, sir. If I were rich... Still be living in San Francisco. Instead of good homemade wine, I'd be drinking whiskey. Oh, very unwholesome stuff. And bad for the innards. Yes, sir. If I went back to that wicked city, I'd, I'd ruin myself gambling, or I'd flirt and break poor Annie's heart with countless infidelities.
5: Don't you ever think sometimes you'd, you'd like to go back just for a visit?
3: Well, now that you mention it, sometimes I do. Sometimes temptation gets the upper hand. I long for a little high-stake poker game in one of those Barbary Coast saloons. I want to go back and wallow in the mire. You do? Yes. So you keep an eye on me, David. On those days, I'm not to be trusted. Watch me, and if you ever see me buy a railroad ticket for San Francisco, don't hesitate. Wreck the train if necessary, but stop me. Stop me by any means. Oh, any extremity were better than for me to reach San Francisco alive. Remember that.
5: Yes, sir. I'll remember.
3: And see that you do.
5: But is it always bad to be rich? Can't you use money for a good purpose, too? Hmm.
3: Theory, yes, but never works out that way. Just to possess the stuff is corrupting. Oh. New desires spring up and silly taste for luxury eats the heart out of pleasure. It's quite a good phrase. Use it in my book.
2: Do
5: you think you'd be better off if you had less money? I mean, less than you have right now.
3: Why, certainly not. Why? Well, because, well, because I've, for my present life, for my present income, and it's best for a man of my age to have regular habits.
5: Oh, I see.
3: Now let's go home. hmm? Soon be time for supper, and uh, when I pass through the kitchen this afternoon. Annie was making blueberry pie.
6: David, what are you thinking about this morning?
5: About Doc. Oh? I was talking to Shorty Brown, the stage driver, and he was saying your brother took away Doc's money, all that was left, and invested it for him.
6: Oh, that's a lie, every word. It was my cousin. Cornelius that did it. Uh, and did he make Doc promise never to come back to San Francisco? Oh, certainly not. I did that. Cornelius is a banker. He sort of keeps an eye on the remainder of our money, and he sends us some when we need it.
5: Uh, do you suppose Doc wants to go back and live in
6: the city? Oh, I don't know. He never said so. Sometimes I get scared blue for fear he might. Why? Well, wouldn't a man with, with his habits to... Come to total ruin. You like it better here, don't you? Oh, yes. I'm here. It's so safe. I have him all to myself. And now, David, that he's got you to educate. And his pharmacopeia to work on. Maybe he'll always want
5: to stay. Do you know where we're going this afternoon, Doc and me? No, where? Well, I'm going to hitch up the buggy, and we're going to drive up the Sugar Pine Canyon to find leaves and plants for the farmacopeia.
6: Oh, well, are you now? What next? Is he nearly finished writing the book? Oh, bless his old heart. He's been working on that thing for years, cutting out bits of paper and pinning weeds to them and making notes. (laughs) I don't suppose he'll ever finish writing that book. But doesn't he have a grand time?
3: Myra. Yep. I don't suppose you've ever been to Franchard, have you, David?
5: No, I never have.
3: Well, that's where we're heading. In the woods, there's the ruins of an old mission chapel built in the Spanish days. It was destroyed when the Indian uprising came.
5: The same one that burned the town?
3: The same, but that's not all of the story, no. Priests knew there was danger, so they hid the sacred vessels, things like golden cups and chalices. Priceless they're supposed to be.
5: And they hid them.
3: Yes, they've never been found.
5: Did people look for them?
3: Oh, of course they did. I'll tell you what happened to me. It was back in '51, when the rush for gold was going strong, I was in this forest digging near the ruins, and my spade hit something. What was it? A metal coffer, like like a strong box. And I thought I'd found the treasure. Sure, I opened it up, but it was only some priestly robes. And then, what do you think? They turned to dust while I was looking at them. What do you think of that?
5: Well, I'd like to have seen them change to dust, but otherwise I wouldn't care.
3: Hmm. What do you mean? Not care about a treasure?
5: No, sir, I I wouldn't want it. It's only money. It would do harm.
3: Oh, come, that's philosophy and very fine, but it's not the point right now. Besides, it's not only money. There are works of art involved. These things were beautifully carved in solid gold.
5: I don't care. I wouldn't want them. Why well, they might do people harm. You said so yourself.
3: Never mind what I said. Now, don't go quoting my words back to me out of all logical connection, like a like a parrot. At
5: any rate, we want nothing to do with it.
3: Who, Myra? Who? Who? Uh, here's where we stop. There, I can see the ruins over there through the trees. Thought. While I went looking for herbs and specimens, you might amuse yourself digging for treasure, but you disappoint me, David. I see you have no sense of adventure or romance. So, let's let you stay here and guard the lunch.
5: All right, sir.
3: Now, hmm. now, no, don't look so forlorn. I didn't mean to scold you. Keep forgetting how seriously you take things. Don't you ever smile?
5: Oh, yes, I like to smile. I'm very fond of jokes.
3: And beats me what use you were to a circus clown. I've never seen you smile. Look, David, you can take a snooze in the shade on that clump of ferns, hmm? and the bees will hum you to sleep. I'll come by and wake you by and by. Yes, sir. All right, then. Pleasant dreams. Mm-hmm. David boy, wake up!
2: Mm,
5: what, what is it? What's the matter? Come with me. Y- your face is white. You're sick.
3: Come quickly! I found it.
5: A specimen?
3: <laughs> yes, a specimen. I'll show you where it's planted. Quick now, follow me. Yeah. Here yeah, this way. It's just ahead here in this clearing. Yeah. Yeah. There, there now. Here's the plant, and I'll show you one of the roots.
5: It's a plight
3: (laughs) Nonsense It's a coach and horses It's a mansion on Nub Hill It's your college education
5: A dirty old platter covered with earth?
3: Look, David I plucked away a pad of moss from between these boulders and found a crevice And when I looked inside What do you think I saw? I don't know I saw San Francisco I saw my wife shining with diamonds And I saw you and your future
5: But what is it? What
3: is it? It's the treasure of Franchard.
1: <laughs> and I found it.
3: Must be quiet. Here. Now, look what's here. Flagon. Candlesticks. Here, and see this. It's a casket full of gold pieces. Doubloons and guineas and Louis d'Ors. Look at them.
5: Th- this means you're rich again, I suppose.
3: Rich. Rich is a potentate. Rich beyond dreams. Oh, this is childish. We're losing precious time. Uh, Go bring the buggy close to the road and be careful no one sees you.
5: But why? We found it. Isn't it ours?
3: It's ours in this sense that it's nobody else's. But the government might have some claim. Or if somebody was to steal it from us, we'd have no claim at all. But, sir... So run for your life. And remember, if you meet anyone, not a whisper. Yes, sir. We'll go home by way of Gold City. There's an office where I can telegraph Cornelius.
5: Annie's cousin?
3: Yes. He's an idiot. Not creative or poetic like you and me, but he does no commerce. He's just the one to help us dispose of these trinkets.
2: But, sir... Run,
3: I say. Are you still here, David? Never mind the lunch that Annie packed. I'll buy you beefsteak when we get to town. Yes, and I might have a taste or two of whiskey. What would you say, David? Nothing. We're rolling in money. Positively rolling in it. Well? uh, Say something, boy. Don't just stand there looking pain. does my inconsistency shock you? That's it, huh? Huh. Well, then, uh, the word for you is is fiddle-dee-dee. Farewell, beautiful forest. Though called to other scenes, I shall ne'er forget thee. Farewell to my snoozing, countrified existence. The road is open to success, wealth, honor, renown. Boy, fetch my chariot. The world is mine.
0: Hollywood, the NBC Theater is bringing you a dramatization of The Treasure of Franchard by Robert Louis Stevenson. We will resume with Act Two after a brief pause for station identification.
3: see from Pike crossed the high mountain with her lover. I. <coughs> uh, what's the matter, Dave? Truthful Dave. Don't you like my singing?
5: No, Doc. Not very much this evening.
3: Huh, that's right. Always an honest answer.
5: Look, Doc. Annie's got all the lamps lighted and the door wide open.
3: Ooh, ooh my Myra. Huh, so she has. Oh, poor old Annie. Must have worried about us, huh? Look, I'll take care of the unhitching, and you hustle in and tell Annie the good news. You want to do that?
5: Yes, sir.
3: All right, go on, then. Skedaddle.
6: Mercy, David. Wait till you get your breath.
5: And all he talked about was San Francisco. San Francisco. And he went running in and out of all the stores, leaving me on the buggy seat. Oh,
6: gracious me.
5: Wait till you see the presents he's been buying. What? And every time he bought something new to the
6: buggy, he he went back into the saloon. Shh, I hear him coming.
3: Annie! Annie, Annie, oh, Annie, aren't you glad? Darling, we're rich, we're rich all over again.
6: John, you've been drinking.
3: Oh, of course I have, my beauty, but I found the treasure, and here are the first fruits.
6: Now, what have you there?
3: Hmm, a piece of silk to make you a dress, and a feather to go on your hat.
6: What? Then it's really true.
3: And a box of cigars for myself, and a fishing rod for Dave, and guess what? Champagne to wash down our supper.
2: I can't believe it.
3: Mm, Kiss me, Annie.
2: Oh, John.
3: (laughs) Goodbye, Mountain Meadow. This grimy episode is over. The butterfly unfolds his painted wings. Oh, John. Tomorrow, Cornelius is coming. In a week, we'll be in San Francisco, happy at last. And you shall wear jewels as big as eggs.
5: No, sir, please. You mustn't go back. You mustn't.
3: Oh, don't you worry, Dave. We can take you with us. Let's bring our treasure in piece by piece, huh? We can dine off gold plates tonight if we have a mind to. <laughs> but first, I'm going to open the wine to toast this glorious occasion. Some glasses, Annie?
6: Yes, yes, yes. Right on the table.
3: Mm. Think I haven't tasted this lovely stuff in nearly seven years. <laughs> Help yourself, Annie.
6: Oh, gets in my nose. <laughs> mm-hmm
3: to your health, my dear.
7: Oh,
3: delicious supper, Annie. You surpassed <sighs> yourself. I
6: couldn't eat another mouthful.
3: And I shouldn't drink another glassful. But I will. Where's David gone?
6: Well, I don't know. I thought he was sitting here.
3: Hmm. While we were piping our dreams, he slipped out the door.
6: Oh, he's disgusted with us, being so greedy. Well, where can he be? Oh, look, I see him. Hmm? Come here to the window. Where? Sitting on the landing, watching the river go by.
3: Hmm. there's a remarkable fellow, Annie. You know, something of the genius in him... At a time like this, most boys will be shouting and running about, making plans to spend the money, but he prefers to drink the night air and look at the moon.
6: He didn't smile. He didn't smile once all evening.
3: Yes, I know. Very mysterious. I wonder what goes on in that mind of his. <laughs> Gone. Gone, I tell you. The treasure's gone. Every scrap of it. We're paupers once again.
6: John, tell us calmly. What has happened?
3: Well, last thing before I went to bed, I I locked them up in the dining room cupboard. Are you sure? Of course I am. Rose again at five o'clock, and there it was, broken open. David, what do you know of
6: this? John, don't blame him. How would he know?
3: Compose yourself, Annie. (laughs) Command your feelings.
2: Oh, whatever shall we do?
3: Do? Do? (laughs) why? right. we will remain perfectly calm. That's what we'll do while I investigate this crime. Now... You'll
6: have to tell us how.
3: All right. We shall proceed by induction. Annie, do you know anything that can help us?
6: No, John.
3: Are you David? No. Mm, Good. All right. Then we can turn at once to the uh, material evidence. You know, I was born to be a detective. I have the systematic spirit.
6: Yes, John.
3: First... Violence has been employed. The cupboard door was broken open. Yes. Second, here's the instrument, one of our own table knives, which seems to indicate no preparation on the part of the gang, if gang it was. That's true. Hmm. Thirdly, I observe that nothing has been removed except the dishware, chalices, and the money box. In other words, the treasure itself. Now, that's clever. Shows intelligence. A desire to avoid legal consequences. Oh. Oh, you can bet this is no ordinary criminal we're dealing with. We undoubtedly have in our neighborhood a retired stagecoach robber from the days of 49. now,
6: honestly, John, how can you expect me to believe that?
3: Annie, dear, you must not interrupt.
6: Uh, Did you put on the coffee? Yes, John.
3: I think we might have breakfast out under the arbor. I think more clearly out there, don't I? Uh, David, come along.
6: I'll bring out the breakfast right away.
3: Thank you, Annie. Oh, this has been a terrible shock one from which I shall not soon recover. But you must admit, I'm bearing up bravely.
6: John, dear, Hmm? here's Cornelius. He's just arrived. Good
7: morning, John. Oh, Cornelius, sit down. Have some coffee. No, thank you. I took the morning train to Badgerville and came the rest of the way by carriage. But Annie tells me I might have saved the trip. Yes, Cornelius, our fortune was made and unmade overnight. Our windfall has been stolen. A good piece of luck for you. If you'd gone to San Francisco with your pockets full, you'd have played ducks and drakes with a lot of it in three months' time. Now, your Cornelius... Your own reserve fund would have followed, and you'd have come to me in a procession like the last now, time. Now, there's
6: no need to speak of that.
7: I saved what I could for you then. But I give you warning... Annie, you can weep and John can argue, but it won't work a second time. I've told you so before. Yes, you have. You've told
3: us often. But since we no longer have our bonanza, we don't need your advice on how to spend it. Bonanza, indeed. Might have been worthless. Pardon me, Cornelius, but I'm
7: not entirely ignorant of these matters. And these articles were pure, solid gold. I wouldn't take your word for it. You're a man of rosy views. But this robbery is peculiar... Who was in the house last night? Hmm. None but ourselves. And this young gentleman sitting with his mouth closed? He too. Well, and if it's a fair question, who
3: is he? Say good morning to Cornelius, David. Good morning. This is David. He combines the functions of a son and stable boy. He began as the latter, but he rose rapidly. And he is, I may say, the greatest comfort of our lives.
6: Yes, he is. He's a godsend. Ha!
3: And previous to becoming one of you? Oh, he he lived a remarkable life. Beginning
7: with circus tramps and thieves. Thieves? Did you say thieves?
6: Oh, now, Cornelius, there's no point in suspecting the boy.
7: Young man, did you ever steal? Yes, sir. Well, you listen to that. Well, David is a teller of the truth. He
6: has never told a lie. He's the best of boys.
7: Never told a lie. Very strange. Give me your attention, my young friend. You knew about this treasure. He helped to bring it home. John, all I ask of you is that you hold your tongue. Very well. I mean to question this boy. And if you're so certain of his innocence, you can afford to let him answer for himself. Now, boy, you knew where the treasure was put. Yes, sir. You say you used to be a thief. Yes, sir. Then it was you who stole these things. You know it, and you dare not deny it. Look me in the face. Raise your sneaking eyes and answer.
2: No, Cornelius, no.
6: you're a brute. I'm ashamed of you.
7: Quick, after a man. He mustn't run away. Yes,
6: John, yes.
7: Cornelius, if you weren't my wife's cousin and I weren't pacifistic, I'd give you a thrash. Oh, for heaven's sake, man. You telegraph me to leave my business and come down here on yours. I come. You say, find the thief. Well, I found him you've no right to take offense. I
3: grant that. But even if the boy had come and told me himself, I wouldn't believe him. If I did believe my my trust in him is so great, I would conclude he acted for
7: the best. Simple-minded as ever. Well, I must be going. I've wasted enough of my time. If you recover your plunder from that thieving stable boy, bring it into my office for an estimate. In the meantime, I wish you'd let me sell your Turkish bonds. Why should I? You told me to buy them, so I did. But sooner or later, they're going to crash. And that will be the end of you. In fact, that's the main reason I came down. You never answer my letters. I never read them. Well, may I sell those bonds or not? My dear Cornelius,
3: I've never denied your ability in business. You may be the best banker in San Francisco, for all I know. However, you have only one limitation... You believe through
7: thick and thin in one man's judgment. You're all All right. Stick to your Turkish bonds and stick to your stable boy. Go to the devil your way and be done with it. I certainly will. Say goodbye to Annie for me and to the little sneak thief. And I won't come visiting again in a hurry either. Goodbye, Cornelius. It's always pleasant to see you. <laughs>
3: my dear. What does he say?
6: Poor little fellow. I've been with him an hour. All he does is cry. Cry.
3: Well, did he say nothing?
6: Well, first he said he'd run away. No. Imagine if he'd left us. What would the treasure be to that? Awful old treasure. Look what it's done.
3: Oh, he's not going to run away.
6: Well, after he sobbed his heart out, he told me. He told me what he'd done. He threw the treasure, plates and all down the ravine near Silver Plume Falls.
3: Oh, my heavy heart. Well, that's the end of it.
6: Yes. It's gone. he's still here. And he'll stay. That is, he's willing to stay on one condition. What's that? We're never to mention the matter, nor ever speak of the robbery again.
3: Hmm. It's a very painful circumstance, I mean, to ask me to remain silent about anything. But you'll agree. I'll go myself and reassure the boy. As far as I'm concerned, the subject is closed. David? David, may I come in? Now, 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 my boy. Well, no need to be down in the dumps. this has been a most amusing episode. We're not a penny the worse off for it. In fact, we're better off. Why, I worshipped the golden calf and I was taught a lesson. See? Our philosophy's been exercised. Uh, Moreover, I have my cigars and Annie has a new dress and... You have your fishing pole. Besides, we, we, we drank champagne last night. Ah, the glow of it still tingles my memory. Say, that gives me an idea. Well, we had a party to celebrate finding our fortune. We'll have another tonight to celebrate losing. Oh, hmm?
6: John, that's a fine idea.
3: And you, David, are going to stay right here to help brighten up the homestead. Aren't you?
6: Yes, sir, Dutch.
5: I'll, I'll try
3: and as for the little burglary that uh, happened last night, John, well, you uh, uh, promised. Oh, sorry, it slipped out. I, uh, I was only going to say, uh, Mum's the word, boy. Shh, shh, Mum's the word. <laughs>
6: That wind Wonder it doesn't blow the house down
3: Oh, it stood this long Stand a while longer Annie Did you look in on the boy?
6: Yes, yes, he's fast asleep
3: He worries me See, Annie, it's still on his conscience Now, if the boy came to me And made a proper confession And bosomed himself about the little incident Well, we'd have forgotten it long ago
6: Yes, I suppose you're right Of course
3: I'm right Preys on him like a disease
6: Coming to bed soon?
3: Oh, after a while, dear. Want to work a bit on my pharmacopeia.
6: John, did you open that letter that came this morning?
3: Hmm. Letter. Yes. Oh, the letter from Cornelius. No, it's in the desk. There's no hurry, Annie.
6: Well, John, bring the lamp when you come. Yes, I will. And be sure to put the screen around the fire. Yes, sir. A night like this, I'm always frightened that the wind might blow live coals out on the floor. Yes, sir. Don't work too late. Good night, my dear.
3: Annie, Annie, wake up.
6: What is it, John?
3: I smell smoke. Listen, do you hear anything? No. I'll open the door. John! The house is a fire, Annie. Quick, run down the back way to the garden. I'll wake up David.
6: Yes, John. Oh, dear. Where are they? What are you
3: doing? Well, I must put on a few clothes. Nonsense, woman. Run. Run, I tell you. Run for your life. <laughs> A hearth, a home, every last stick of it. Well, David, have you nothing to say?
5: I wish it hadn't
2: happened.
3: So do I. Express my feelings exactly. What's more, my life, work, my pharmacopoeia has gone up in flames.
2: Oh, John.
3: There, Annie, I don't blame you for crying this once.
2: It's not the house. No? Hmm? Uh.
3: Oh, you weep because my masterpiece is lost forever. But... Well, I had no idea your interest in literature went this deep. Oh,
6: no, John, but you wouldn't let me dress. What am I to do?
3: Well, you must do like the rest of us. We'll go to Mrs. Crabtree's boarding house and ask for
6: shelter. But not like this, John. Not in a flannel nightdress.
3: Why not? Well, your modesty is commendable, Annie, but there's no choice, really. We must all three of us go in our nightgown. Well, I
6: refuse. I refuse to be seen by townspeople in this, this garment.
3: You look extremely well.
6: Oh, now, John, you're a man. You can't understand my feelings. Well, I couldn't bear the humiliation of appearing in public like this.
3: Very well. (laughs) There's an old pair of trousers hanging on the line. I thought to wear them myself, but you shall have
5: them. Oh, John. Run, David,
3: quick and get them. hmm?
5: Yes, sir. (laughs) I will.
3: There, you see, my dear? It's nothing to worry about. (laughs) Just follow my example. Well, oh, you, you notice how calm I am? Even cheerful in, in the face of disaster. I'll begin drawing up plans for a new house in the morning. Hmm. Oh, how fortunate you are to have married a philosopher.
2: Oh, John.
3: So, Cornelius, as you see, Mrs. Crabtree took us in and... Well, we've been happy ever since. I see clearly. We're
6: very happy here, Cornelius. She lets me do all the cooking. Of
3: course, there is one sad aspect to the conflagration. My great work, my pharmacopeia, now lies buried under ashes in the fall of my humble roof. But who knows? Perhaps I always meant to be an architect. I've been making sketches for our new house. I don't suppose
7: you recall getting a letter from me about a week ago. Letter? Letter, letter, letter.
3: Oh, yes. Seems there was a letter. Don't you remember, Annie?
6: Yes, John. You put it in the desk.
3: Certainly I did. Well, I I have to admit,
7: Cornelius, I've never read it, but now that you're here, you can tell us what it said. With pleasure. It's what I told you. Your Turkish buns have gone smash. You haven't a penny. Good heavens. So you may as well bear up and make the best of it. Perhaps I can find a job for you as a clerk in my counting house. Adding up figures will teach you the value of money.
6: You mean we're ruined?
7: Ruined, my dear, by your fool of a husband. You hear that, young man? They are ruined. No more pickings for you. No more new house. No more pork cutlets. Strikes me that you'd better be packing. Your stake in this gold mine is about worked out.
5: All right, sir. I'll go.
7: Never. No. David,
3: if you want to leave me now that I'm poor, all right, you can go. But if you'll stay, there's always enough for three. It would be too much to have lost my house and and my fortune with losing my son,
7: too. In a minute, he'll begin to cry, and I don't like boys who cry. Clear out of here for a while. We've got business to discuss. Domestic matters can be settled later.
2: Yes,
6: yes, go and play, David. Supper will be ready at five o'clock.
5: Goodbye, Annie.
3: That's a good fellow.
5: Goodbye, Doc.
7: I told you, six o'clock and he didn't come home to supper. He's gone. He took the hint at once.
3: Well, I don't seek to excuse his going. It shows a lack of heart that disappoints
7: me. Lack of manners? He never had a heart. John, for a clever fellow, you're the most gullible man in creation. Your ignorance of human nature and ordinary business is beyond belief. You've been swindled by gamblers, swindled by vagabond children, swindled right and left. It must be your imagination... I thank my lucky stars, I have none. Oh,
3: pardon me, Cornelius, you possess to an eminent degree the commercial imagination. Now, how can I best illustrate my point?
6: There's someone coming up the stairs.
3: Oh, see who it is, Annie. It might be David.
6: It is. Yes, it's him. He's come back.
7: Oh, Jupiter, be praised.
6: He's carrying something, a heavy sack. John, John, go help
7: him. Yes, sir. What the devil is he up to? Let me help you, boy.
6: David. Oh, David, we've been so worried. There.
5: I brought it back. I didn't throw it over the falls like like I said.
3: Why? It's the treasure.
5: I, I hid it in a cave by the, the river. Now you can have it back and build your house again.
3: Oh, my son. My good boy.
5: Now... Now you won't go back to San Francisco, will you, Doc?
3: No. No, never. Here, yeah, this proves my point. There, Cornelius. You see this boy, this... this angel boy? <laughs> He's a good thief. He took the treasure from a man unfit to be trusted with it. He brings it back to me when I'm sobered and humbled. Oh, these are the fruits of my philosophy. This is the reward of my life.
6: John, look at him. Look at David, John. How beautiful. He's smiling.
0: You have heard The Treasure of Franchard, an NBC theater presentation of a short story by Robert Louis Stevenson, as adapted by Brainerd Duffield. Be with us next week at the NBC theater for a fine midsummer story. Mark Twain's American classic, Huckleberry Finn. And the following week for an intriguing version of Trent's Last Case the detective novel that closed the curtain on a fiction era. cast today, Parley Bear was the showman, Paul Freeze was Doc, Florence Ravenall was Mrs. Crabtree, Michael Chapin was David, Lynn Whitney was Annie, and Charles Seal was Cornelius. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The NBC Theater is produced by Wade Arnold. The director of the NBC Theater is Andrew C. Love. This program came to you from Hollywood.